The Sleeper and the Bust. This is episode number 131. I am Nicholas Minix, and I am here to, we are hoping, make your listening experience continue to get better. And joining me is everyone's favorite uh, co-host, and that would be Eno Saris. Hello. I'm on a landline now, so that should change things. Yes, and by that he does not mean like a, a rotisserie dial phone or anything like that. <laughs> Just to clarify. Modem noise. <laughs> and so uh, we, we are super glad to have you all joining us. We continue to work to try to improve these things. We've gotten some excellent feedback for, uh, from a variety of listeners, and uh, we continue to try to incorporate those things. And we, can, we, just, we ask you to keep it coming because we appreciate how much you care about the show. Uh, and uh, we want to get right into talking about how uh, this Clayton Kershaw guy is kind of good. He throws a no-hitter. Now, here's, here's my one kind of um this kind of bothers me i've been told that i should appreciate this a little bit more because um he struck out 15 without walking a batter and so it's the it's the best no hitter in history because of that and uh, frankly it's just hanley ramirez's fault i think that uh, it's not a perfect game i mean it's basically a perfect game um in which he got screwed out of so i don't really think it's anything greater of a no hitter it's just it's it falls slightly short of a perfect game you know how do you feel about this no no it's, that's an interesting thing because I know that his game score came like two or three points short of the best game score of all time, which uh, I think is Kerry Woods. I forget how many strikeouts. If it was, I don't know if it was his twenty strikeout game or whatever. But uh, there was a Kerry Wood one hundred and five, uh, and and Kershaw's was one hundred and two. Uh, so I, you know, I don't know if Hanley's uh, boot had anything to do with that. I'm not. I don't, I'm not so familiar with exactly how the game score is done, but. One thing that I liked, I saw Jeff Sullivan tweeted today that was great, was, um, what was it? Uh, Clayton Kershaw has Jose Fernandez's strikeout rate, uh, Koji Uehara's walk rate, and Tim Hudson's ground ball rate this year. So uh, I just thought that was great. I mean, when I, if I'm doing a quick scan of, of a pitcher, I, I'm definitely looking strikeout, walk, ground ball, just because, you know, ground balls don't usually turn into home runs, and it's an easy way to suppress your homers. So, um I mean, it's just he's hitting the trifecta. He's a he's a, a peak. He's a an ace in his peak. So, uh, and, you know, and I also return a little bit to the the fantasy debate at the beginning of the year, which was, you know, is Kershaw so much better than his compatriots that he should have been a top three, top four, top five pick? And you know, I think that he is on a on a per pitch, you know, sort of result and uh, per inning basis, but you know. That injury alone tells you, you know, what how there's more risk there. I mean, um, you know, he 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 he's he's behind and he's not going to have those innings, that big innings total that he usually does. So, um, you know, I'm not sure that he's going to end up being one of the top three in value when we look backwards, uh, which he has been for a couple of years now. Um, but he's awesome, and uh, <laughs> him just by calling him a pitcher. Oh my God, I just called him a pitcher. That's it, a great pitcher. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's ultimately, I mean, that's is when you're talking fantasy purposes, that's it for me is he missed that time at the beginning of the season with this kind of scare of a shoulder thing. I think it was a shoulder thing. And, and really it's, um, I mean, that, it, it, like you said, I, I believe you've stated this already. It's, you know, roughly 50% of pitchers uh, or uh, r- roughly 50% of the top pitchers don't return that uh, kind of top end value and only, uh, and and two out of three hitters or something to that extent and it's um, you just I mean you that see was, it, that was uh, that was on projections uh, right, okay yeah, right year to year correlation for projections um, for pitchers is about fifty percent and for hitters it's about sixty seven percent so yeah we know less about what a pitcher will do in any given year playing time is the is the biggest part of projections really because that's ultimately yeah. what determines a lot of the value in them and again and. Uh, a big determinant in play, uh, playing time for a pitcher is, of course, innings uh, or and and health. So health. that's yeah. just it's. But hey, he's there's no question he's good. He's unquestionably the top starting 
pitcher for fantasy purposes. I mean, he clearly belongs ahead of any of the others. And and there's 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 always a possibility that at some point, uh, some point very early in your draft and maybe in the first round, taking him regardless is uh, still going to give you a potentially great advantage over your competition. It's just riskier for me. And riskier every year that he gets older. Yes, yeah, that's definitely true. And every year that he continues to do charity work in Africa because that's just dangerous. I mean, <laughs> but it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's it goes to show. I mean, I've heard nonstop. He's, he's he's supposed to be a fantastic guy, and I think that that's a testament worth, to him. That's I've had a couple of interactions with him, and you know, I, I'm still missing that big interview. But um, he uh, he's definitely seems like a very down to earth. Uh, guy very affable laughs a lot um, you know stays in touch with most of the locker room you know so seems like a nice guy outstanding um, and so now we want to get into a uh, there's a resident of of Matt Holidayville who's concerned about the power outage that he's been experiencing and you know, frankly I'm not a Matt Holiday owner but I can understand that just just concern um, Basically, the question is, is Matt Holiday going to have the kind of second half we've come to expect from him? Uh, because he tends to he has tended to, I guess, pick up the power production as a, as the summer has uh, has gotten well, has arrived. And uh, I mean, frankly, I mean, I've, I've been concerned for the last couple of years because the fly ball rate has at minimum kind of stagnated, but it has slowly declined. Uh, just kind of he tends to exhibit a, a couple of other markers that. Um, combined with the fact that he does play in St. Louis, which is a park that benefits pitchers, I mean, I think you're—he's always kind of considered this super consistent uh, player, but the uh, the curve continues to head downward, and so I think you know, slowly he's not really necessarily. Uh, I mean, basically, the the consistency is is kind of the big uh, selling point. I think on him, I think at this point, and that the production is not necessarily top notch anymore. Um, do you think it's coming back in the second half this year? Is there any reason to doubt that? No, I mean, he's, he's eight years past his power peak. And, uh, if you look at his, at his career, you, you're starting to see the bell curve where, um, things that were happening early on in his career are starting to happen, uh, once again. So early on in his career, he had the two worst, like you said about the ground ball fly ball mix. Early on in his career, he had the two worst ground ball fly ball mixes for, for his power. I mean, he, he hit the most grounders early in his career. And then he sort of pushed it a little bit closer to one um, as, he, as he aged. And in his best power years, it was almost one. Um, and he hit, you know, 36 homers, 34 homers, 28 homers. Those were his best years. But, um, you know, in recent times, it's kind of returned back to where he used to be, which is almost, um, you know, 1.5 ground balls uh, per fly ball. Not quite there yet, but it's, it's creeping back. So I think, you know, you know, he started his first two years, 14 homers, 19 homers. I think we're going to see some years like that. I, th- I don't think he's going to hit 20 this year. Um, and he's definitely stopped stealing bases. So, you know, that's that, you know, now we're talking about a guy, even if he, if he, if the batting average returns, he, he's had a, a great career batting average on balls in play. Even if the batting average returns, he's going to be, um, almost an empty batting average, like a 280, 290 hitter with, you know, 18 homer power. Um, you know, without the stolen bases, it's actually a below average outfielder. Um, he's, he's becoming Nick Markakis. No, not quite. Not quite. Uh, I mean, it's bad, it, but I'm continuing, uh, continue actually, to encourage. Actually, might strip, uh, strip him this year. <laughs> yes. And that would be kind of disturbing. I mean, it's, it's encouraging that, uh, I mean, holidays, um, control the strike zone continues to really impress and actually probably get better with age, which I don't think that's necessarily true. And you, you can certainly correct me if I'm wrong, cause I have done pretty much zero research in that category, but I mean, well, I, the I strikeouts, the, the walk rate actually does improve for much of your career and the strikeouts start to creep back once your bat speed slows a little bit. Okay, and so maybe that's encouraging because maybe the bat speed hasn't really disappeared yet. Uh, the fly ball distance, I, I believe that Mike Podhorzer had written on uh, Holiday recently as saying that he was uh, still a pretty good candidate to see a surge in his home run per fly ball rate. And so I think that there's there's not necessarily reason to think that uh, this is this is going to end in some kind of dramatic cliff, but uh, just you temper your expectations a bit. And uh, ultimately, Holiday is just he's a, he's kind of a fading second tier star, is the way yeah. I look at him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did look up his home run for fly ball. I mean, his uh, home run and fly ball distance, and he's right there with sort of Pence and Ozuna, um, which you know those aren't guys that have no power. So um, I think that uh, you know he'll he'll get close to twenty this year. And and but I think if I owned him, 
every year for the last three years, I've said, this is the year to sell him. If you're in a dynasty league, sell him, you know. And, yeah, of course, every year since then, you know, he's hit 300 with 20, 25 homers or whatever. But I, I still think it's very much the case. Like I said with Pujols, you know, being this is the last chance to sell Pujols. When, when Holiday gets that, he gets that, uh, that streak going, I, I think it's the last chance to sell him. Yeah, I think. Well, and I think also, um, if you've said it in the last couple of years, then you were kind of right because uh, it may not be quite as good. Yeah, so let's let's not be too hard on ourselves here. Um, I, I'm interested to see what you think about uh, maybe possible destinations for Jeff Samarja. I mean, obviously, I, I think that uh, this kind of uh, back and forth between the Cubs and and Samarja's camp about a possible extension that seems to be a bit of charade. Uh, just maybe in essence kind of trying to jump his trade value a bit. Uh, the Cubs obviously want to get as much pos- as possible for him. I just – it seems likely that they're that they're going to deal him. Uh, but what what do you think about possible destinations? And do, is anything about his numbers concerning to you and in, in, in as far as any kind of bite back? I mean I think – I've, I've been a big fan of Samarja, and I think that he's really evolved as a pitcher uh, with uh, – and uh, to me he's kind of – I mean he's probably about at his peak um, in terms of performance. Um, but uh, – I still think that uh, I mean, there's I think there's still plenty of good left. You might have fired fewer bullets than your regular nine year old, but you know I think that I think that age is a big deal here because what I, from what I've heard, he's asking for six years and a Matt Cain type contract, um, and uh, you know I think he I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think Samarja is is a little bit older than than Cain was, but he's probably thrown a lot more pitch uh, thought a lot fewer pitches than Kane just because um, he hasn't been a regular until the last couple of years um, he was in the bullpen and you know football and all that so uh, you know his camp is probably saying you know he's a he's a young 29 the Cubs are probably saying he's an old 20 I mean he's 29 and so therefore when uh, what I've heard is that Samarja wants six years Kane type money and even the newest offer from the Cubs was five years so I agree that I think that it's not looking good um, and they're kind of giving a last chance before they trade him. And, uh, and if, they, if they trade him, all I see is American League. Um, I see Boston. I see uh, Baltimore. Boston, I say, because they have the resources to sign him to a long-term contract, and they have the resources to trade for him. They have a great farm system. They can trade something like Ronaldo and some other pieces. I don't know if it's going to be bets, uh, but, you know, they and I think the Cubs want pitching back, so it might be Ronaldo and Webster or something like that. So, They've got enough uh, enough arms to throw back to the Cubs. They have an interest in a veteran uh, starting pitcher. Baltimore, um, we know that they could use someone. Toronto, we know they would like a, a pitcher always. And they have a lot of young arms, and Samarja might be better than some of them. So, um, you know, I, and I worry about that because even though I love Samarja, I see in the past uh, home run rates, uh, home run problems. And this were in the minor leagues, in the major leagues. He's had home run problems. This is the first year – He's ever been below um, a half a homer per, per nine. And I think it's a big part of his breakout. And um, so I, that's the only thing that worries me is because I know he has iffy command. And with the sort of splitter, the chance to hang a splitter or not get into counts where he can use the splitter um, becomes a problem. And that's, I think, when he gets into these homer problems. Also, Wrigley can play a little bit homer happy when, it's, when the wind is blowing out. So I'm just I'm only a little bit I'm a little bit worried about him going to the American League East, going to Toronto where there's a lot of homers. Baltimore is the the hottest park in the league, and temperature is a big part of of homers. So um, I might I might actually be selling him if I had him. Yeah, that, I mean all those things concern me. That's primarily why I was interested to see because I mean if he, I, I'm I'm worried a little bit more so if he does end up in the American League Park. I'm, I'm encouraged by the possibility. Uh, I mean, like you said, this is a breakthrough in large part, it looks like, because of the the home run rate. I mean, he's still he's uh, he's also keeping the ball out of the air at a, at a rate of lower than 30 percent for the first time in his career. And he's continued to improve in that category um, for the last three years, four years. Uh, and that includes time in the bullpen, of course. Uh, but uh, I, I'm encouraged by all those things. I mean, it's, I mean, it's kind of uh, in. in uh, in correlation with also, uh, of course, a ground ball rate that's above 50% for the first time in his career. But uh, at the same time, I mean, you're talking about just in general a lot more dangerous conditions. And I, I don't think there's really any reason to expect not there not to be some expectation of some change in um, 
his well, especially his ERA. But uh, you know, at the same time, I guess he becomes a much better candidate to get more than two wins. Um, <laughs> so there's that. Uh, but I mean, it just it's it's an interesting. I, I think he's a he's a very talented pitcher. I mean, I love that uh, he kind of exhibits. I don't want to compare him quite like to Justin Verlander, but uh, that his he's shown an ability to kind of get deep into games and to actually have this kind of increasing velocity as he gets deep into games. Maybe that's a byproduct of uh, the fact that he, like you said, he doesn't have a great deal of wear and tear on him yet. But I think that that's, that should be really encouraging for anybody. Uh, like you said, just because of the, uh, the, the type of workload that he has had is uh, he hasn't, he's that, that should be really attractive to any team that acquires him. And I think that it's, it's, you have to look at him as a young 29, I would imagine. Uh, but it, at the same time, Jason Hamill has been rumored to be a player that the Cubs are seem pretty likely to move. The only question to me is because the the historical the the track record of Hamill. Obviously, he had a kind of a breakthrough in 2012 with Baltimore, but uh, the track record is is largely not there, and he's, there's some health concerns. My my only question would be: Do the Cubs end up asking for too much based on uh, at least in part on? Uh, his performance this season when there's really nothing special about him other than to me. I mean, he's, he's a solid pitcher potentially. Um, he's had some troubles in the American league, but then to, to move to another team, uh, perhaps a, a more difficult environment uh, that includes the AL or something like that. And, and it seems likely, I would think that if, if a contender does deal for him, it would maybe it would be in the national league just because that would seem to be a, a lot less risky f- uh, for the acquiring team. But uh, I mean, I, I, I can't help but think that the Cubs, because sometimes they seem to have exhibited this, is that they might want a little too much for Jason Hamill. That is really just kind of a, I mean, he's a rental, and you hope that it continues when he joins your club. I also, you know, I mean, the, what's kind of fueling this breakout, I think, is just uh, abandoning uh, abandoning hope for the future on Hamill's part. And I mean, he's just throwing sliders like there's no tomorrow. And, <laughs> Uh, he's he's up over 32% right now, and that's that's right where we draw the line. When when Zimmerman and I did the research on 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 sliders and, and elbow injuries, we drew the line around 30%, and, and that's where injuries start to go up. And given that there's a little bit of injury history there already, um, I don't really love this for his long-term chances. But it's not like anybody's really owning it for his long-term chances, so... Uh, let's not to worry too much about that. Let's say let's say some part of this is sustainable and he can be something like he was in 2012. Um, if he did stay in the NL, that would be great. Um, but there is a risk that he goes to the American League. The only thing I'll say is this. If they want a lot for him or if they want something substantial for him at all, uh, I'm not sure that someone's going to give it to him because I think that most teams have built depth now um, and – They'd rather trade for Samarja, who represents a front-of-the-rotation upgrade, rather than um, a Hamill, who represents a back-of-the-rotation upgrade. I mean, I can't think right now off the top of my head of a team that's like, oh, we just, you know, we, we just need a number five starter. Um, you know, most of the contenders built six or seven starters into their idea, you know? Right. And it's like, you think about Toronto. Toronto needs some help up front, but they have you know, Strowman, and then they have, you know, Aaron Sanchez, and they have, you know, they, they've got that guy Todd Redmond who could even you know, go into the, into the rotation. And all those guys can probably be around league average or whatever, and maybe Hamill could be a little bit better, but how much is that going to be valuable to them, especially when it gets to the postseason and Hamill's in their bullpen or whatever. So um, I could see Hamill not going anywhere and actually being uh, a better play for it, you know, staying in Chicago, Maybe having a, a couple of uh, homeritis games when um, some lefties tee off on a slider and the wind's blowing out in Wrigley and, and, and being a little bit closer to a, um, a four ERA than a three ERA, but uh, probably still useful in you know fifty, sixty, seven percent of the leagues out there. Yeah, I think that that was that was kind of what I was getting at. Is if if they make it too difficult to move him, um, he ends up sticking around, and so maybe he kind of retains or he the the risk is a little lower, I guess, with him. Um, but I mean, you, you expect some give back in the numbers, but uh, ultimately, I mean, he's just, he, it's, it is Jason Hamill. And because you, like you said, you combine the thing that's interesting about his injury history is that like, it's, well, I don't recall any of it recently other than just, uh, I mean, he's had some knee problems, 
uh, and things like that that could lead to compensation injuries uh, in the past. And that's what he really struggled with in 2013. Um, But then to come, uh, excuse me, to come back and with the increased slider usage and things like that, he is, I mean, he's certainly just, he doesn't forecast as anything like a long-term investment and clearly doesn't to any team that might be interested. So it's just, uh, yeah, the, the Cubs have to be willing to take like something that is just really of insignificant value in order to get rid of him. And then, then it becomes a question of whether it's worth it to them to get rid of him. Yeah. Um, they keep him around and, and sign him for another, you know, one year, $8 million deal next year, just for depth or whatever. So yeah, I think, um, I think they, I think he might end up staying in, in Chicago. Yeah. And, um, uh, Pitcher that would seem to be kind of locked into Chicago, at least for the short term, is Jake Arrieta. He's, um, uh, as one tweeter has had said to Eno and I, he, we have kind of reverse jinxed Arietta in that uh, there was some doubt about his ability based on the fact that he throws kind of a straight fastball. Since we've kind of discovered that uh, he seems to be relying a good bit more on a cut fastball that uh, Pitch Effects has been identifying, uh, it looks like, as a slider, but it uh, it looks like that uh, we are we're calling a, a more of a cut fastball, and he's been using that a lot more. In general, it seems like regardless, he's relying less and less in the past couple of years, just relying less and less on what uh, we would consider a fairly straight forcing fastball. And overall, that's that's definitely seeming to be a positive for him um, in what in what you would project for him. So, uh, is it is it time to revise a little bit on uh, on Arietta, or how much are you going to revise on him? I, I think so. And I think this is also a big part of why, um, you know, Dave Cameron had a great article about how you should trust projections and projections uh, do well, even in season and all that. But, you know, put that next to what I said earlier in this podcast about how projections miss on pitchers way more than they miss on hitters. So that's why I find pitching um, so fascinating. And I think that the reason that it misses is that a pitcher can – add a new pitch. I mean, it's not like a hitter can be like, <laughs> you know, I can now hit sliders. <laughs> I figured something out, and now I can hit sliders, and I can never hit them before. So. That occasionally happens, but it happens way less than it does yeah, with pitchers who, so. who can add a pitch. Yeah, you don't, uh, there's, no su- it, there's no secret superpower or elixir or anything like that that suddenly emerges for a hitter. And I think often, sometimes that comes with a hitter with, with um, you know, giving away something else. Like, basically being like, oh, well, I've been a bad fastball hitter recently, so now I'm going to key up on the fastball, and maybe I'll be a little bit worse on the slider, but I'll be able to hit more fastballs. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, and and Adam LaRoche said in an interview that I did recently where he said, you know, basically he said hitting is reactive, and we have to go up there and see the ball and hit the ball, whereas the pitcher is, is proactive. He's planning. He's looking. He's deciding what pitch he's got. He's got a game plan. His catcher's helping him implement it. So it's very different ways of uh, modes of being. And so, um, you know, I think it's definitely possible that area that, that they could that the projection systems could miss a little bit on Arietta, considering that he's now uh, he has he has bad command of that of a bad straight um, uh, four seamer, and he has better command of uh, this bendy slider, baby slider, cut fastball, whatever it is, and he's throwing that more in fastball counts. And it's working. Um, who knows if it'll continue to work? He's obviously, uh, I would say, he's obviously behind other breakout guys. The projection systems are missing, like Keiko and those guys. They've done a little bit longer. Their their um, pitch type peripherals are less ambiguous. But when I look at Arietta now, I see um, you know a sinker that's okay, and I see the slider is very good. Actually, has a very good ball rate, very good whiff rate. Um, and he has a change and uh, and a curve, so he's actually now a four pitch pitcher who's sort of taken out the thing that that was the biggest asterisk on him was out. Oh yeah, yeah, he's got ninety five mile an hour command, but ninety five mile an hour fastball. He's got no command of that thing. So now you know, now it's like, well, you know, maybe it's ninety four and it's the sinker, but uh, now he knows where it's going a little bit better. So. Uh, I, I'm a fan now, and I think he's mixedly relevant. The names that are being thrown around on on Twitter, um, I'm not so sure. Sometimes, you know, people get really excited. I mean, I might drop like a Liriano for him, uh, just because Liriano looks like it's one of those hurt years where he can't command the ball, and um, and he's had a lot of those years. So we have a long track record. So yeah, they might 
might be uh, around Liriano. There's a line where it's about a struggling guy. People are asking if they should drop Matt Cain. Um, and, you know, I did discover something really weird today. Matt Cain does not have a single pitch that rates um, by pitch type peripherals. Um, so he has, he has like a kitchen sink where there are, he has all these representative pitches. He has a change slider curve. Uh, but none of them is, is a plus pitch. So I don't think I'm dropping Matt Cain yet, especially since his next start is in San Diego. But, you know, I don't know. Matt Cain dropped a lot today when I made that realization. Uh, Arietta gained a lot today when I, when I wrote that piece, but, uh, they're not quite at the same level yet. And as a Matt Cain owner in Tower Wars Mixed Draft, I will say crap. Um, <laughs> and, and, and talking about players who have kind of come along, uh, come along a little bit with uh, the use of uh, increased uh, two-seam and or cut, cutter usage, uh, Alfredo Simone uh, is also kind of in that category. And, and we've received a few comments here and there uh, about him and, and – What's interesting to me about Simone is, I mean, I've always kind of liked the stuff. I mean, I was a, kind of a closet fan of his when he was in Baltimore, but a lot of a lot of things kind of mixed in there. I mean, he was he had a lot of problems with his control period, uh, and I think that uh, this increased usage of the two seamer, uh, this is for, for some pitchers, this is kind of a pitch that's just a lot easier to command and locate, and I think that I mean it's kind of the case for him. Now I, I, I know you know. You've not been kind of a fan or just a bit of a doubter. Um, and I, I think regardless at this point, Simone is a pitcher that uh, it's 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 too late to buy on or anything like that. Um, and and I know I've seen some folks kind of project, oh, yeah, they might have an innings cap for him or something like that. I don't really think it's anything to do with that. It's just that he spent mo- the last few years as a reliever. And uh, sooner or later, that's going to catch up with him just in terms of performance, and it's going to affect him in terms of f- fatigue and the types of bullets he's throwing and things like that. Uh, and so sooner or later, the Reds will probably have to find an alternative. Uh, I mean, I'll, it may be a couple of months away at least, and he may just go through kind of a really long dead arm period, and he may bounce back. But uh, I, I think this is a pitcher who has kind of transformed a bit. And this might... You're right. I, I don't think I've given him enough credit. You're totally right. He's throwing more cutters than, than four seams. And his fourth seam is very mediocre. So, um, you know, sinker gets a lot of ground balls, nice curveball, nice cutter, nice splitter. I mean, that's a that's a really good it, – it's something that's really funny because when I wrote this Chris Young piece, um, uh, uh, Chris Young was talking about throwing high in the zone and how the, the league is full of low ball hitters now. And um, so I wrote a piece, you know, where Chris Young questioned some of the assumptions we have about pitching – and uh, and one of the responses was, well, MGL responded and was like, are you kidding? Why are you talking to Chris Young? He's terrible. And uh, I was like, that that response makes no sense to me at all. I mean, I, I, he's the terrible major league pitcher. I mean, if you think if you think it's it's crazy that he's in the major leagues with an A6 mile an hour fastball, don't you think you should ask him? How he is in the major leagues with an A6 mile an hour fastball? <laughs> but like Jamie Moyer was was pretty much terrible at the end of his career, but he stuck around. And you think that it's not worth asking Jamie Moyer how he stuck around and what he did? So uh, I, that didn't really float with me. And then one of the other comments just said, yeah, you might as well go ask Alfredo Simone about pitching. <laughs> <laughs> or Simone, I think it must be Simone. Anyway, I was like, I, you know, I, I would, you know? <laughs> I would. He's having a breakout year. Why don't you just at least listen to him? We can judge whether or not, you know, what was noise and what was signal and what he says afterwards. We, we should at least, you know, put down what he thinks is working. And so um, a lot of these guys are going to say something like confidence. And I mean, that's it's hard to I mean, it's hard to interpret where they're going with that because they don't, they, they, you know, I mean, these are athletes and uh, they're in, in ways they are just like us in a sense like, you know, uh, your average person doesn't always know how to express himself well with words and i'm not saying that you know i don't mean to diss the average listener or anything like that i don't think i don't i think we have above average listeners but that's just that's kind of the way people react it's like something that they have may not even have pondered it's just uh simone is kind of in the moment he's uh, i'm not saying that he's he has that as well but like not everybody's going to be able to to kind of um to capture i think what it is specifically too so we don't always get the answers i mean i think that that's what's uh, i mean again it's just it's it's a game made up of humans we can do as much as we want with the numbers and uh, i i 
I love the numbers more than anything. I think just the combination of so much different, so many different ways that we can get information is what makes um, kind of predicting these new things. I mean, or predicting or adjusting to whatever it is. I mean, I think, and that's what, that's for instance, what I loved it, but doing about player projections is like, when you talk about like um, the, the correlation from year to year of uh, pitching projections is that, um, as you as you've said about uh, like uh, that, you don't like to buy pitching uh, primarily because of the the unpredictability of it and things like that. There's also you know, like you said, uh, a pitcher can add a pitch and things like that. There's also if there's a pitcher that you've always thought of as like just one thing away or a couple of things away from really putting it together, and you say I'm never going to give up on this guy. The hope of that. It's not saying I'm going into my draft and saying I'm going to get this guy, but. Um, we don't always know all the things that they're working on um, because obviously if it continues not to get the job done, they're not going to have a job for very long. So some of these guys actually do things because they want to hang on to a job and they want to, they want to evolve. And some of them do it even when they're still successful. So there's always the chance that these pitchers are going to learn new ways uh, or better ways to be successful. And uh, those, those things, um, if you find out that information ahead of time, it can be kind of an exciting way to project a bit of a breakthrough uh, or what turns out to be a big breakthrough or whatever it is. But there's always just, there's a lot more reason to be, to consider pitchers a little more unpredictable. And yeah, it's one more reason not to, to me, not to invest a great deal of money in them. You know, that, that segue is pretty good into another pitcher that we wanted to talk about, which is Danny Duffy. And, you know, I've, I've, I've long had my eye on Danny Duffy just because 94 mile an hour velocity, he came up uh, getting a strikeout per inning, lefty, uh, nice curveball, and I just thought, you know, this guy has what it takes. If he can just command the ball a little bit better, um, you know, he can he can he can put it together. And and I've had shares of him in in many leagues, mostly deep dynasties, where I've just held him on the bench and said, uh, you know, maybe one day this guy will figure it out. And um, this year he was in that that crew of of pitchers that I that I uh, drafted with picks 600 through 900, uh, Keuchel, Arietta. Uh, Chavez, uh, Duffy, um, all those guys I drafted with these super late picks just being like, you know, I like this guy because he has velocity. I like this guy because he has a new slider and so on and so forth. Anyway, uh, now Duffy is, uh, by sort of results, um, showing uh, the best year of his career. He's finally uh, showing about an average walk rate. And uh, today he had a, a good start against the uh, Tigers and held them to two runs in seven innings and had five strikeouts, one walk. So he now basically has a league average walk rate. Um, and there's a lot to like about him. And I just turfed him in a trade uh, for a warm body just because I, I looked at his pitch type peripherals. And he doesn't have a single pitch that's above uh, average. And I don't know how he's doing it right now. I don't really believe in it. And I tried to watch the game today. He had five, um, he had six swinging strikes. Four were on the fastball. So with a 94 mile an hour fastball, you're still going to get some swinging strikes. One was on the changeup, and the changeup goes in and out. Sometimes it's okay, sometimes it's bad. And one was on the curveball, which is you know his best breaking pitch. So you know that that's not a very good swinging strike rate. It's not going to add to his his swinging strike rate. It's not going to add to his strikeout rate. And it really, I'm just like, he doesn't have a ground ball rate to, that supports the fact that he's like, you know, maybe going for grounders and strikeouts. I don't see it. I don't see it anywhere. The only thing I could say is I saw some called strikes on the curveball where people gave up um, and, and it dropped in the zone. So I just don't know if that's uh, something you can bank a career on is, is you know, called strikes on bailout curveballs. Yeah, I can uh, understand that. I think, well, I think, I mean, to me, I like, I think. Uh, Duffy pitches in KC where, I mean, again, it's one of the better pitchers parks. And I like the fact I, I want, I generally want a five ball pitcher there. It's a little more dangerous on the road, but uh, I mean, that's, that's the kind of, he's been generating obviously the lowest batting average on balls in play comes with fly balls. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm really encouraged with what I saw. Like I, I, this is somebody we talked about a little while ago and, and uh, he was, he was kind of coming out of a dead arm period a few weeks ago. And, um, uh, I saw his start against St. Louis, and yeah, yeah, we we talked about him a little bit then, and I mean, it was just to me the fastball command was super impressive, and I've noticed like he's kind of gone year to year. He's he's had uh, obviously an injury mixed in there, a uh, long term injury coming off Tommy John surgery, but uh, you talk about a steady kind of rise in the first strike percentage, uh, contact rate against has also kind of gone up, but uh, and the as you said, the swinging strike rate is down, but. 
I mean, maybe this is a pitcher who is just is a lot more comfortable with throwing strikes and is kind of like letting you know, he's maybe he's been convinced to the point where it says and he has stuff that's just kind of maybe he's has stuff that is just in general a little harder to hit. Uh, and, and I it could be off base here because there's always a possibility that he sees a bit of a, a, a correction in average on balls and play against him or something like that. But I mean, the. There's there's a lot of natural stuff to work with there I think and and uh, I mean the question becomes I, I think that there there are going to have to be there are going to be more adjustments that uh, Duffy's going to have to make to I think to be a long term um, kind of viable uh, pitcher but I mean I, he has a lot to work with and I think that that's what's most encouraging to me is that uh, he can, he seems to be showing signs of of evolution it's just it, it's until you know where that's going, it's really hard to say that uh, you can say you, that you can put a great deal of confidence in him. But I think that, I mean, overall, I'd be encouraged like if I was in a kind of a deep dynasty league and he was a guy that I could hold on to for a low salary or there is no salary or anything like that. I say, you know, I'm going to continue to give this talent a shot. Yeah. But yeah. And in, in the, in the position where I was, where I, I drafted all those young pitchers, it was a weird position because, you know, I was trying to buy a hitter with some of my pitching and people were like, well, you know, it's so easy to find pitchers. Look at all those pitchers you found. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I was, got, I was getting mad. And so I finally decided I, I overpaid. I paid uh, Medlin and, I, and uh, Duffy for Ioki. And Ioki is a 34-year-old speedster with no power and who stopped stealing bases pretty much. And, um, you know, he's having a hard time adjusting to the AL. And I hate it. I hate it. But I need an upgrade over Bobby Abreu in my lineup. Um, in this 20-team dynasty, I need some steals. I need some on-base percentage. And that was the best deal I could get. And Medlin probably has a worse than 15% um, failure rate on that second Tommy John because the first Tommy John has a 15% failure rate. And I have to think that it goes up if it's your second one. Yeah. And, uh, and there's no, there's no uh, guarantee he, he ever comes back as a starter. And um, so I think that, you know, you can make things look either way in a way. I mean, yeah. I, when I look at that, I can say Medlin has like a 30% failure rate. You know, some percentage he ends up in the bullpen and Duffy has no pitch that's above average. Or, you know, you can look at it the other way and say, well, Ioki's terrible. Duffy uh, throws 94 and has a great curveball. And Medlin has been a top pitcher in this league. So I would just like to say, I, I think that... Uh, I still don't think that's. I mean, it doesn't sound like you made a bad deal to me. I like I like Ioki, and he is he is older, but uh, I mean, we talk about the reliability of a hitter, and uh, yeah, and the and, not, and there's I mean, there's not a great deal of reliability in the pitchers you dealt away, and then on top of it, uh, Dale Swain seems to be working miracles in Kansas City. Um, so <laughs> All right. we, Here we go, Dale. <laughs> yeah, we heart Dale Swain if you're if you're a, an owner of a Casey hitter. Um, Maybe. They all have started hitting, huh? Yeah. I, I don't. I can't. I can't say that's all on Dale because I, I think mostly uh, a hitting coach helps you with aggression or, or either to be more aggressive or to be more passive. But uh, I do. I have always thought that the Royals hitters have really bad uh, ground ball fly ball mixes, and so maybe there's something to that where he's he's trying to level out their swings a little bit. Yeah. It would be interesting to see. Yeah. What how how this trend uh, kind of evens out in the long run if this is just pure inevitable correction or uh that that swaim has kind of unlocked something here uh, uh, i don't know that there's anything i don't see anything in the numbers that say automatically oh yes uh, but uh, uh i'm definitely interested to see how that continues to turn out the royals are in first place yeehaw or they yeah so uh, they are today aren't they yes well no they lost they lost the tigers ah so now they're back i guess it's a, a virtual tie for first place because wow they, they're back and forth that's crazy yeah that's I, I, you know, at the beginning of the year, I thought, you know, the Tigers, I, I thought Animal Sanchez, the shoulder, you know, he could, he could miss some time. I thought, you know, they did a really bad job with that bullpen. I thought, you know, job is an okay signing, but I thought Nathan wasn't a great signing. I didn't think that they'd actually solve the bullpen problem. And um, I wasn't sure, you know, the, the lineup seemed a little bit older. I, I thought there were some cracks in the Tigers. And then I thought I was so wrong for a couple months where I was like, look at the Tigers, they're killing everybody. I'm such an idiot. And now, now all of a sudden I look, uh, I'm glad I didn't do a public mea culpa where I said, oh, the Tigers are amazing. <laughs> yes, I think you should be glad. And uh, who knows, they might face some competition from the Minnesota Twins, especially the way the uh, Kyle Gibson is pitching. Uh, he's, this, was, this is certainly a kind of a breakthrough campaign for him, and he 
hit a, a bit of a rough patch that uh, lasted for a good part of May. But uh, overall, the numbers have been fantastic. He's kind of rebounded. The strikeout rate is even slowly increasing. Uh, and this is a pitcher, obviously, he's, uh, I think he had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. And this, uh, and this is, I mean, a pitcher who is kind of, he's he's needed to evolve as well. Um, in the sense that, uh, I mean, he had fantastic strikeout rates in the minors and uh, really is not having that kind of success in the majors. But, uh, I mean, he has he, he has a good base of talent there, I think. Um, the, the velocity it, is not returned is, the, is uh, what's concerning to me. But overall, that might not necessarily be. Well, it's not where it used to be. But 93 is still decent. I mean, 92, 93 is still pretty decent. Yeah. It's not, you know, I think right around 88 is where I get I get worried about velocity. Um, when it, in that sort of range between 90 and 93, 89 and 93, you know, I'm not too worried about a, a missed spot there. What is interesting uh, to me is that pitch type peripherals love this guy. And I really, now I'm kicking myself. I should have tried to buy a couple more shares of him because uh, his changeup is at least average, if not better. It gets 15% whip rate. That's average. The ground ball rate is like 75%. That's above average. So that's a really good changeup, actually. And that was that's really interesting to me because everybody said when he was coming up, oh, he's a sinker slider guy. Uh, he doesn't have that changeup. Well, now he has a changeup. His slider is still good, 18%, uh, good ground balls. And his curve is above average too. It just doesn't get grounders, but who cares? It's a, it's a show-me curve uh, that gets whiffs sometimes. So uh, I yeah, see he really uses that curveball. Yeah, it's not very often. But even, even without the curve, he's at least a three-pitch pitcher with sinker change slider. Um, and, uh, the four seam is not the best I've ever seen. It's really bad for whips, but, um, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a mile an hour faster than a sinker. So, you know, if someone is starting to sit on a sinker, he can, he can, uh, use the, uh, the four seam there. So, um, sorry, uh, Wayne Rooney. <laughs> Wait, I shouldn't be saying anything, right? You're like that DVR guy where you're like, don't do anything. You I son of a... <laughs> so and what i like about i like i mean what seems to have come a long way as far as gibson's changeup is concerned is uh is uh, i mean there's he's really dialed it back and i don't i'm not sure exactly how he arrives at this but uh the there's considerable uh, well a good a mile maybe one or two miles per hour difference uh between the, the his fastball and changeup than there used to be uh or at least there that there was last season I mean, it seems to be conser- uh, a pointedly fo- like a, a real it seems to be a, a bit of a focus, I guess. I mean, it's not it's it's not quite as it's not quite as bad as it was last season. It's only a little better. But I think that that makes I mean, that I think any little bit in, uh, of difference that you can add uh, between the changeup and fastball can make a big difference, especially if, if folks are used to sitting on uh, a certain mix and uh, i mean in in that in this case it might just be a case of where he's um he's just he, he's kind of focused on not throwing it as hard i guess what i'm trying to say like he, i don't i don't necessarily look at it as a decline in velocity is a uh necessarily huge red flag the way some folks do i think it's i mean there could be a number of reasons some pitchers actually kind of go in and say i'm just not going to throw quite as hard uh, and see what happens um and I mean, he's if he's it he's having be a grip thing, could be, and, and you would know way more about that than I would because I don't. Uh, I mean, that's that. Well, I, I don't know now. I have to. I'll have to ask him. But uh, next time the twins are in town, I, I'll definitely ask him about. It. That's and that that would be very interesting to to hear uh, what he could have to say about that. And uh, we we've been talking a little bit about the Cubs, uh, and now they've they promoted Chris Bryant. I mean, they they have all kinds of stuff looking toward the future still, obviously. But they promote promoted Chris Bryant to Triple A Iowa now. I mean, this this kid is. Uh, I mean, it still seems pretty unlikely that that the Cubs are going to uh, debut him in the show before September. Um, but uh, this kind of uh, drums up excitement. I mean. Uh, if you're a Cubs fan, I'm sure this is exciting, uh, but it also brings up the question of how close is Javier Baez to a promotion? Uh, th- I mean, a couple of exciting players here. I still like Baez quite a bit more than Bryant. I mean, I still wouldn't be surprised if Bryant is kind of no more than the league average. You do? Yeah. Yes. Wow. You don't? Uh, do you disagree? Yeah. Okay. I, I'll be. I'll be glad to hear why. I mean, I, I love. I think Baez is just to me is just a more well-rounded hitter. Uh, even if the wow. so. that's interesting I, i'm not uh we're not going to pound tables here we're not we're not founders but we have a, a, a good disagreement here um 
For me, uh, Baez is a uh, from the heels, uh, swing too hard, uh, no plate discipline, uh, you know, power hitter with a huge bust rate. I mean, I, I looked up, um, you know, so for, his, for him, he's in AAA. He's got a bad walk rate and a, and a high strikeout rate. And I looked up the bust rates on guys in AAA with a high uh, strikeout rate and a low walk rate. And uh, the bust rate is 67%. And since he had the same thing in, in AA, uh, his bust, percent, bust rate is 86%. So uh, he's a really high bust rate guy. Um, I'm screwed. I guess I don't know. I mean, I th- the reason I like Baez more is because, like, when I watch him, it doesn't look like the strikeout, uh, like you said. I mean, I, I feel like that's more kind of maybe just the product of the nature of the type of hitter he is, whereas I think that Bryant's strikeout, I mean, I have seen very little of Bryant as a hitter, but I watched a good bit of Baez in spring training. It has nothing to do with the results there. Just, like, Baez doesn't look like he has any holes in his swing. And this is my amateur scout coming out, so it's not really. But, uh-huh. like, he, has, he seems to have fewer fewer holes in the swing. And I think that, like. He's just aggressive and. Yeah, he's just. Yeah, and so, like, it makes me wonder. Kind of like, kind of like I feel like the same way uh, George Springer is, where I don't think. I mean, not quite as bad in a sense uh, but maybe maybe kind of along those same lines uh, or, uh, but uh, I, I like I mean I think Baez is even a better hitter uh, than Springer uh, but um, well that's a very interesting I, I've, I've just been uh, kind of down on him because of the strikeout rate and the, and the possible bus rates associated with that obviously um, you can look at him from a different angle which is that he's a, he's a top prospect and in the, in the sort of top 10 prospects have a, a Especially positional prospects have about a you know thirty five percent bust rate. So, um, you know, you know, there's a couple different bust rates at play here. Um, the one thing that I would I can say about Chris Bryant is that from what I saw, and you know, here comes my amateur scout. Um, I didn't think that he was necessarily a third baseman. Yeah, I've, um, and I've, we've heard that before. I think that uh, I mean I guess he ends up maybe in a corner outfield spot. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Um, you know, I think it might be Baez uh, at third. Uh, he just he's a little bit bigger than Castro. Um, I think isn't Baez really big actually? Yeah, he's um, something in the neighborhood. Well, I mean, I guess a little over six foot. Oh, I mean, this just says six foot one ninety. That can't be accurate because I mean, I've seen him. Okay. He weighs anyway. he weighs a lot more than one hundred ninety pounds. I think. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe it's old info, um, but. Um, I think uh, you'd see Chris Bryant in the, in the out, but my guess is because Castro is locked uh, for a little bit. I say Baez at third, Castro stays at short, uh, Alcantara at second, and uh, and by and uh, Bryant in the outfield. And, it, and if they ever make that decision, Bryant to the outfield, that's when he comes up. Because from everybody I've talked to and from his stats, I would say uh, Bryant's bat is pretty much ready. I mean, he was a college hmm. guy, polished guy anyway. There's been no real um, red marks on it, other than the, you know perhaps that strikeout rate, and um, you know it's just the, I think it's the glove holding him back. If they're if they're you know if they're promoting him, then they like something about it, and or or we'll start seeing him play in the outfield. So um, yeah, I don't think they're you're right. They're not in a hurry to bring him up to lose. Yeah, I, I mean I I could be totally I mean, I. I, I you know, I first admit, I, I, I've been wrong quite a bit. I think that that's actually uh, uh, the cool thing about being in a position like this is that uh, it's kind of expected to be wrong. But uh, I, 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 I'm not quite as familiar with Brian. Maybe that's part of the reason. But uh, just I, I think I've always I, I've always viewed Bias's talent as a little more appealing. But uh, I haven't seen a great deal of Bryant, and uh, I guess I'm just and his. Control of the strike zone based just purely on the numbers seems to be clearly a lot better. And so he probably has I, – I would assume his uh, bus rate is is certainly significantly lower than Baez, yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, we have a disagreement. That's great. <laughs> In the end, they'll probably both suck, and then we're screwing everyone. So That's what bus rates say. <laughs> Uh, this is something uh, we've talked about Kevin Gaussman on a couple of occasions. You're a big fan. Uh, I'm a pretty big fan. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, when they when the Baltimore Orioles brought back uh, Miguel Gonzalez to the rotation, they, they still decided to give Gaussman one more start that occurred on Wednesday. And he was once again really good. Um, haven't seen any news since that says that this is, you know, they're going to they're going to ch- juggle this thing around. 
Um, and so it really, it really makes me interested to see where this is going. Gonzalez was not very good. I think he, he was good in the first few innings and just kind of blown up, but that's kind of his MO. Uh, we've already discussed that he just looks like a pitcher who belongs in the bullpen eventually. Um, and, and Gaussman is a guy who continues to intrigue us primarily because he's, he's pretty good at pitching off what is a somewhat straight fastball. Uh, but, uh, Anything here that says to you that there's, I mean, they're, it seems like to me they're looking for an excuse or a reason to keep this guy around. Uh, th- does he stick around right now? Um, or is it, I mean, it, regardless, it seems to me that uh, if he goes down, he's going to be right back up. Yeah, there, is, there was something in my chat today where someone said that um, he was going to go uh, down for a DH and then after a certain period, come back up again. I think he's pitched his way back into the rotation. Um, and, uh, I can't imagine that Gonzalez is going to stick around for him. So, uh, I think, you know, for what's worth, I think Gonzalez could be uh, more of an asset in the pen, uh, than he is as a starter. So closer maybe. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I like Austin. The one thing that I will say that I liked better recently, and I don't, I don't know. Did he always wear glasses? Uh, that I don't know. I've never noticed that before. Um, I think he was wearing glasses in his last start. Kevin Gregg, Kevin Gaussman. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, I think the thing that really improved for him in this last um, outing was uh, his fastball control. And you know, maybe that's one thing you can do with with a, with a straight fastball. Maybe it's easier to command. So maybe, and he he had. Plus, plus command in the minor leagues. That's why I liked him so much. Um, and I thought he could get ahead uh, with the, the fastball. And, you know, some people say, oh, oh, you know, he has a split and a, and a change. That's the same thing. It's not really because one of them is more straight up down. Uh, and I noticed in this last start, and one has more fade. So it's almost like, you know, being a curveball change guy uh, where you've got something that's up down and then you've got something that has fade. So I – I'm a little bit less worried now about the slider because um, I think he can use the straight change uh, against lefty. Uh, he can use the straight change against lefties, or, or he can use straight change against righties. So he can use the straight change uh, against same-handed hitters. And if he, I think it's mostly about that fastball command. And recently, in the last couple starts, he's done well with the fastball command. So I'm back on Gosman. Yeah, that's what I, I like to hear. I left. I fell out of love for a little bit. Oh, well, that's sweet. I think it's nice that uh, you kind of decided to reconcile. And again, I mean, it's, it's, I think Gaussman's a guy who's going to, I mean, he's going to have to evolve a little bit as he, as he gets older because, uh, I mean, he's going to lose that velocity in the very near future. But, uh, I mean, again, I like the tools and I think he has a lot of time. He's going to have a lot of a lot of chances to experiment. Baltimore has, they've, they've done okay as far as bringing some pitchers along and getting more out of them. So I think I'm encouraged overall. But uh, this is because we have an opportunity here to talk about some other pitchers who may intrigue us just a bit. Uh, Minnesota has – they dumped Sam DiGiuno to, uh, out of the rotation to the bullpen. Uh, wasn't getting the job done really or didn't didn't as far as they were concerned. Uh, but uh, now they're bringing up Johan Pino and, I mean, basically smells like a placeholder because, I mean, the guy's like 30, I think. I mean, I think he was putting up ridiculous numbers in the minor leagues. But again – uh, he's 30 years old and uh, he should be <laughs> right. Right. Like if you're, if you're not at that point, uh, you yeah, should probably play. Right. Yeah. Agreed. So <laughs> smells like a placeholder. We're not, nobody's saying, Hey, run out and or, get Pino. Maybe this works out for you today on the league. But bottom line is, is that's not really what we're here to talk about because Alex Meyer and Trevor. Right. Uh, yes. <laughs> I was going to say rhymes with Schmalik's ire. <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, Alex Meyer, I love that. Have you seen him pitch? I have not. Uh, wait, wait, I think I did see him. Didn't he pitch in? He pitched in the Arizona Fall League one year, didn't? He? Yeah. Yes, yes. I, and I did. Oh yeah, you know that was last year. Yeah, I did see him once. I did see him yeah. once. Really, really, NFL, really game. nasty. Yeah, really nasty yeah. stuff. Nasty stuff. Really good fastball. Uh, lots of life on it. It's a no seam. He throws like a no seam fastball. He's got uh, a good, really good curveball and a strong change. He's, he tinkers a little bit with the change. The change is the, the open question mark, but um, you know when it's good, it's been really good. Uh, the only question with me for Meyer is, uh, and I'm just going to look right past the Pino too. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the only question for me with Meyer is is innings, I guess. Um, let me look real quick. He he last year they did they threw him in the AFL. 
NFL innings. Um, and that's why he was even down there. So um, with those extra innings at 104, I think teams a lot often um, are comfortable with an extra 20 to 30 percent. Uh, so you could get to 130, 140. He's already at 70. He's at 67. So I think he's got another 60 to 70 innings before they they maybe put him in the major league bullpen to end the season, depending on how good they're doing, or maybe just straight shut him down. Um, I, you know, I don't think the twin the Twins have actually not had a lot of young pitchers, so we can't say, oh, what did they do with their last young great pitcher? <laughs> 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 like, oh, they shut that guy down. Who? <laughs> What do you mean? So, uh, they you don't you don't like what they did with uh, Scott Baker and uh, <laughs> I don't even remember what they did with Scott Baker. <laughs> Scott Baker gave up a uh, you know one point seven five home runs per nine innings, and so it didn't really matter what they did right. with Scott Baker. So they just sent him back down. <laughs> yeah, so I don't I don't know what they're gonna do with Meyer, but um, well, here's I traded away in a redraft uh, for JD Martinez and AL Labor just because. Um, I wasn't sure how many innings I'd get out of him, and I needed a, I needed a warm body. So yeah, that's interesting. Well, to me, this is this is what's interesting is in his last two outings, and and one of them wasn't so good, and maybe that had something to do with it. But like he only went three innings in his last outing yesterday, and I mean, and none of them. I mean, they've been four, five, five, six, five, four. Like. Limit his innings. They're clearly way, yeah. interested in doing that, but like this is a team that also went out and signed Kendris Morales, and it's like, are they still? They, they may be entertaining some kind of notion here where um, they they continue to bring Meyer along slowly, and so I don't think that they're. I mean, they're, they're clearly when you bring up Johan Pino, you're clearly not in any rush to get Alex Meyer to the big leagues. Um, but is this a case where I mean, it's still and. You know, I like the labor trade because you don't know when you're going to see him or how many innings or anything like that. I think that this kind of says we may not see him as still for a little while, but with the idea that maybe he can contribute as late in the season as possible, if they still entertain this notion. At some point, that can be all thrown out the window because they say, look, we're just not going to make this happen. And let's face facts. I mean, they could, who knows? They could trade Kendris Morales by the time the trade deadline rolls around. Um, but it, it, He must live in San Diego. Why do you say that? <laughs> the airplanes always take off in San Diego. You can hear them everywhere in San Diego. Can you uh, hear an uh, airplane? <clears throat> I just heard an airplane. Wow, that's, that's you don't crazy. even hear it because you live in San Diego. That's what I'm saying. I don't live. Well, I don't live. I don't. Uh, I live in a suburb of San Diego. I don't live near the airport. Oh, I do okay. live near. I do. I do live near Palomar Airport. Uh-huh. Um, maybe it's a small plane. Maybe that's close. Anyway, I, I I can't believe that the Twins are acting like they're still in it because by our projected uh, playoff probabilities, they have a one percent chance at the wild card. So you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> there's a chance. I mean, uh, that's that one percent is way greater than anything they've seen or sniffed <laughs> in the past what handful of years i mean you're I talking know, the rays still have a 0.8% <laughs> i think the rays are going to turn it around a bit although i guess david de Jesus to the dl that's really going to ruin their chances but there's um, 17 games under 500 <laughs> oh they're going to make God. it interesting they're going to make that it that really got that went south in a hurry people were complaining about the red Sox. red Sox are four games. i don't you know i don't know if you noticed this but i almost never look at the standings <laughs> no i I don't either. <laughs> it's not that relevant to fantasy. And even in real life, you know, it's, I guess it's about the time you can start looking, but I don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I look when it uh, comes to when I'm trying to figure out what the future of a particular player is. And, yeah. And yeah. That's, that's about the only it's hard time. To say, though. It's hard to say, though, because if they're out of it, they might still want to bring Meyer up just to get a taste in the major leagues and, and oh, see absolutely. how. absolutely. I mean, no, he's going to get, he's, he, I mean, he seems he guaranteed to, to debut at some point this year. And probably before September, unless they bring him up September in the bullpen, just to push the innings total a little bit further yeah. in short stints. That's possible. That's the worst case outcome because then you get nothing out of him. Right. And I think, I mean, what is your opinion? I, I'm a Phillies fan, as I've stated before, and um, I'm I'm mildly familiar with Trevor May. I kind of liked him. I was disappointed at the time that the Phillies dealt May for Ben Revere. Uh, well, and and. It was May and Vance Worley, which was uh, basically I was glad that they got rid of him. So, uh, 
May has always really intrigued me, uh, really kind of disappointed, I think, when he first joined the Twins organization. Uh, but the peripherals, I mean, at least you know, at least the strikeout rate, a lot of the stuff about him said he was still pretty good. Um, and he actually pitched really well in the Arizona Fall League this past fall, which is not easy to do, uh, at least for a short stint. Um, but I, I like May. I think that there's a lot of stuff to work with. I really like his fastball. I'm not intimately familiar. Um, I haven't shared a bathroom or anything, but I mean, I like, <laughs> I think there's a lot of upside here. And I think that there's a chance that he debuts this year as well, but it's more of a cameo with an idea that they expect him to contribute next season. Any thoughts on him? I, the only thing I, uh, I've stuck in my head about Trevor May is that uh, he's wild. Yeah. And that's, Obviously, that's a concern, and maybe he ends up being uh, kind of the heir apparent to uh, Glenn Perkins three years from now or something like that. But It's nice to see that um, he hasn't had a walk rate above four in the last two years. Yeah. So uh, There's something there. Actually, I'm glad that you brought that name up. I have not thought about him in a while. He probably has a little bit less of an inning. Yeah, he definitely has less of an innings problem. Uh, he had 155, 65 innings last year, so he could almost go a full season. Yeah. And he's, he's always kind of displayed, I mean, early in his career, and this is low minors, but I mean, he's, he's had that, uh, he's had those kind of like really high strikeout to minus walk percentage rates that uh, I'm fast learning is really good stat that, um, you know, has brought to my attention. Um, and I think that that's, I want to see, I mean, I, I would like to see him repeat those rates before I'm really buying uh, repeat those rates in the majors, but uh, yeah. It's going to take some, you know, take some guys a little while, especially when the when the control isn't always there as it looks like it would be for for May. But I think that he's got a lot of tools that really that are really intriguing. Uh, and I still, I think it's a guy that definitely not to lose sight of. Yeah, and uh, for what's worth, Scott, Scott Strandberg wrote a piece about him. Um, has some nice video, um, and uh, he's uh, throwing his curveball. Uh, more often than he used to, um, and having to have improved fastball commands. That's a legit three-pitch mix. Uh, now with the, uh, getting past just being a fastball slider guy. So uh, those are all. that's all good news. I'm glad that uh, you brought him up. Woo-hoo. Another guy I want to bring up, too. <laughs> Still going through puberty over there, too. Huh? <laughs> that was, that was, a, uh, that was a, a, a high, shrill... That was on purpose, okay? So, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Mike Mike Podhorser, he also wrote about, I believe it was him who wrote recently about uh, Anthony Desclafani, uh, who is now kind of officially part of the Miami rotation, uh, it appears. And he's one of their, he was kind of a top 10, top 15 prospect for the club. Uh, and is kind of, is, is sporting some, some, some intriguing peripheral numbers, even though uh, necessarily the results haven't been there with an ERA over five and like three starts. But uh just learning recently that he, I guess he's kind of officially become a member of this rotation. And there's a little bit of an intrigue here. And I was just curious to see, for instance, what is your take on him? Uh, is this is this a league that, I mean, is there any chance that this guy plays in some place beyond mixed leagues? He has great control numbers so far. Yeah, and that, that's commensurate with what he did in the minors. So, yeah. um, you know, definitely uh, command. Uh, and it's not, it's not without stuff. I mean, he... he he on our page he's a 93, but on Brooks where they separate out the the two fastballs, uh, they have him at 94 for the four scene this year. So, um, you know that's that's some nice velocity. And uh, let me make sure that I've got yeah 94. Um, and he throws a sinker change and curve. He does not throw the change very often. So I would guess that there's some um, iffiness to that changeup, even though the peripherals are good. I'm not going to tell you what they are because he's thrown 13 of them. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, he looks like it's. I mean, he may only be a two pitch pitcher, and and yeah. the question becomes, is he going to be evolving? But uh, I mean, you can succeed on that for a little while. Is this you know, is this a redraft target? I mean, certainly is a guy I would want in an NL only league because there seems to be something to work with there. Um, and he yeah. has more. I think uh, I'm I'm checking to make sure, but I think he has more velocity than Tom Kohler. Um, yes, yes. There are other. Um, Two pitch guy. Well, uh, Tom Cole is around ninety three two, uh, and actually Tom Kohler has a slider and a curve, uh, but does not have the command uh, that Discuffini has. And command is a big deal. I mean, if you just look at what's going on right now, with Tim Lincecum, um, command can go a, a, a real far way um, to to extend your career. I mean, look at Tim Lincecum versus Tim Hudson. Tim Hudson's stuff fell off, but since he had such great command, he's still around. 
uh, Tim Lincecum's stuff fell off, and he's not going to have a career like Tim Hudson's unless he figures something out. So um, I take Scafini over. Uh, well, would I take him over Curler, who's doing okay right now? I think I might, because I just don't believe Curler's numbers are going to continue. And Scafini has uh, De Scafini has the the promise of of the unknown. Yeah, I think that that's that's kind of my feeling on it as well. Uh, I mean, and especially at least, I mean, he's he's had a little a little bit of a problem with the home run ball, and he might be somebody that at least you can stream because you know you could stream him at home. Um, again, this is kind of like thinking long term, but uh, and Kohler, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of liked Kohler coming in, but did not expect him to pitch this well, and I, I, I foresee anything else coming is kind of we've already seen some corrections. And maybe he kind of you know irons it out and ends up being kind of a little bit better than league average for the rest of the season. But uh, I mean, Descalfini just kind of has, has like you said, the, the promise of the unknown, the potential to kind of uh, to to be a little bit better. Um, and, and it's really intriguing. I think that uh, the only thing I think the only thing that concerns me is like it kind of as he rose, uh, so did the the, the walk rate. Um, and so maybe there's some correction coming there as far. Maybe he just hasn't. Uh, He's been unusually pre- precise in the majors, and, the, and he's going to go through a little bit of struggles. But overall, this is a pitcher who is really kind of defined by his. Uh, I mean, there's there's some inter- interesting things there as far as the strikeout minus walk percentage, and uh, there's, there's definitely reason to be a little bit interested in this guy. I should probably get going. I need to go to the park today. Yes, that's. I was to, about to uh, say. Do I a thing with uh, Sean Doolittle. Um, I, I, we've been calling it a, a grips piece all year, but um, uh, I don't know if we should call it a grips piece because he has one pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should call it a get a grips piece. Yeah, right. yeah. but uh, uh, we're hoping to do that, and maybe Jesse Chavez. So that's exciting. Uh, uh, I would like to. Uh, yeah. I think that'll be interesting, and I'm sure folks would like to hear about that. And so uh, we will let you get going to that, and uh, you ask him. Please ask him for me. Um, how does he? How does he do little if he does so much with so little, or something? I mean, there's certainly something you can come up with here to play on his name, and I'll be looking forward to seeing that. Well, I, that, that was uh, that was a fitting end to uh, what I'm just. I'm going to call this the best podcast we've done. So. <laughs> I'm just going to say that, and you guys can tell us if, if I was wrong. And, yes. and please yell at me if my mic went in and out. I need to know. Uh, sounded a lot better to me today. Yeah, so hopefully uh, me getting on the landline was all it took. And uh, then we can just be the best podcast, all with, uh, you know, capital letters uh, going forward. And, and thank you for listening, guys. Yes, thank you all very much. Again, thank you for joining us for episode number 131 of The Sleeper and the Bust. Mm-hmm.